Welcome to this week's episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and today I'm going to be talking to someone who I've spoken to before and you all enjoyed it very much. He's back to tell us everything we need to know about the US elections. Lorcan Nyhan from the Communications Clinic. Welcome to the show. Lots of people have been on to us about your last episode, which apparently got people jobs. It did. So it did, yeah. Brilliant. Have people been in touch with you too? Yeah, plenty, plenty of people getting in touch directly from it. So there's a huge reaction to it and help people get jobs. It's a really, really nice thing to be able to say you help people with. So delighted. Yeah, if you didn't catch that episode, Lorcan was on with us before teaching people how to prepare for interviews. Um, job interview so that's back in the back catalogue if you want to check it out and we'll have you on again with career stuff but today you are here to inform us about all things US elections okay so there's an election coming up in 2020 it's been talked about for since the half term are they called midterms half terms whatever midterm elections midterm elections like two years ago we just I just need to know all the things from you that I can then use to follow the next couple of weeks and months with a bit of interest. What do I need to know? Well, host of things you need to know, but let, let's start from the start. So there's an election coming up. It's in November 3rd. So it's about 39 days away from when we are right now, but it's on November 3rd. So it's coming up. Donald Trump, we all know who he is, president. Yeah. Joe Biden, Obama's vice president, senator for 40 years, an established political figure. Democrats versus Republicans. Are there only two people in the race? Only two people. Technically, there are only there are only two people who can win the race. There is a Green is Party that? candidate in, oh. in, in the race as well. There's a Libertarian candidate in the race. Kanye West is on the ballot sheet in certain places as well. So there are other people running, but America has a two-party system. So we have lots of different parties in Ireland. America has two parties. They have the Republicans. They have the Democrats. So One of those will always be president because they're the... That's the system. You register with a party or as an independent. You register as a Republican or as a Democrat or as an independent. It's dominated by the two parties. They're the only ones on the ballot in every state. It's going to be one of those two individuals. Why would you bother running if you weren't a Republican or a Democrat then? Because you can, I suppose, have an influence, first of all, in that there have been elections where a third party candidate running as an independent has got a significant amount of the vote. So when Bill Clinton ran initially uh, versus George Bush, there was a third party candidate who got in and around 12% of the vote. So you can, there are people who believe very passionately about things, about being libertarians, about being green and the green agenda, who feel that they should not be a two party system. It should be a three or four party system. And so will run. There's always the argument that you're actually hurting yourself though. Because if you look at 2016, there is an argument that you can strongly make that if there was no third party candidate, Hillary Clinton would have won. Because okay. a certain amount of vote did go to the, the Green candidate. And they would have probably gone and to they Hillary. they would likely have been Democratic voters. You know, 60, 70% of them would have been anyway. That might have made a difference. So in this election... There's really no momentum behind third party candidates because of what happened in 2016. Right. Everybody's saying you're either for, you either love Trump or you loathe them. And so you're picking your side. So like, please don't vote for a third party because you're only going to probably get Trump reelected. Yeah. And there'll be an argument that it's selfish in that you are making yourself feel better by saying, well, I didn't vote for the Democrats. I don't like them. I didn't vote for the Republicans. But you didn't do anything I, to stop them either. You didn't do anything to stop them. And so you can, you can kind of assuage your own conscience by voting green let's say because there's no consequences to that vote because you know you're not going to see them elected and right. therefore they're not there to let you down Okay, but that argument is what's probably stopping people going third party this time so it's Trump or it's Biden Okay so it's Trump or it's Biden who is going to win? 
I will get back to the prediction element of okay. where we go through because you'll see column after column that I write. I don't predict because I'm not brave enough to predict this election stuff. Uh, it's look, it's it's very very hard to predict any election. It's it's incredibly difficult to predict an election that involves Donald Trump. So forget uh, the predictions. What are the key factors that we kind of need to understand, and we can get to the predictions at the end. I'll I'll force you into a prediction at the end. Perfect. What we need to look at is right. There are three debates coming up between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That's what you're going to hear a lot about. There's going to be specific debates, three of them. There's also a vice presidential debate. So So is that two of them in the same place debating the same issues or is it going to be a virtual version now? They're going to be in the same place debating the issues. It will all be socially distanced, I'm sure. It will actually, which I think is quite interesting, and this is a total aside, it will only be the second time Joe Biden and Donald Trump have ever met. So they've been around politics and and media for a long, long time, but they've only met each other once before. So even that in and of itself is interesting. So the debates are what's going to drive a lot of the media attention. What people, I suppose, need to know about the race right now as it stands, the polling would say that Joe Biden is winning the popular vote, the national vote, relatively strongly. So he's about 7% ahead. Okay. National polling in the US is pretty good. It got the last election correct. It had Hillary Clinton about 2 to 3% ahead in, uh, nationally. But she lost. But she won the popular vote. Oh, so right. We'll okay. explain this now. So explain that. So the polling national level was actually quite accurate. She was about 2, and a half per, two to 3% ahead. She won the popular vote, as in two people running, who gets the most votes. She won that by about 2, 2.5% um, in the election. But the president isn't elected by the popular vote. The president is elected by something called the Electoral College in America, which is each state has a certain number of votes to give, ranging from three to about 40, depending on their population, actually depending on the number of Congress people that they have. So the number of representatives they have, kind of like TDs. So the kind of TDs they have. So Trump lost the popular vote, got less votes, but got more votes from states, won the right states got to 270, which is the figure you need, 270 electoral college votes. And so he was elected president. I mean, that's totally legitimate. It's the system that they use. But is that not so each of the states has TDs, let's say, Mm. and the TDs are also either Democrat or Republican? Yes, so the number of electoral college votes they get is dependent on the number of congresspeople but not who the congresspeople are so the, the congresspeople don't vote for the president but okay. the number of votes they have so what, what people need to know is that winning let's say Florida gets you 19 votes okay. winning Maine gets you 3 because of populations but that's worked out as, as congresspeople but it's population size really okay. it's designed to make sure that the huge urban centres don't dominate American politics so that just because California has a massive, massive, massive population and they don't Democrats have a very heavier popular, weight, they don't have all of the weight. They have a heavier weight, but they don't have all, the weight, all yeah. of the weight. So elections come down to specific what they call swing states. Why do they bother doing a popular vote? Well, it happens naturally anyway, because you need to, I mean, you have to count all of the votes. And so the media tend to call elections in the US. And so you, you see you see the popular vote coming through. The vast majority of the time, the popular vote reflects the winner. It's only four times in US history it hasn't. Okay. 2016 was one of those times. So Donald Trump has an electoral college advantage, right? What that means, we don't need to get into technicalities of it. It means he can lose the popular vote by three or four percent. 4% probably um, and still win the election. So Joe Biden is starting 3 or 4% behind. And is there any way of, ch- like can he start lobbying Congress people or are they already saying no, no, we want Trump? 
So there's it's they're locked in. So it's it's you the electoral college votes are locked in. There's no way of getting people to say I'm disagreeing with what the people have said and I'm voting another way. And it's a winner take all system. So if you win fifty percent of Florida, you get all of Florida's electoral college votes. So the system is what the system is. You have to win the right states or the right number. Um, afterwards, there is an argument that the electoral college should be reformed, and you could do that in the same way you pass other legislation. But that's too late for this election. But when did the Electoral College votes on this happen? Or is it just based on what it's, party? Each state has a, an election. So what we're going to have on November 3rd, yeah. voters go to the, the ballots and they vote and it's counted the same way. So it's like, it's but like how, 50 million Can we elections. already tell that Donald Trump is ahead in the Electoral College? Based on polling, based on history. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I, should have, I should have explained that better. It, it's based on the fact that Republicans are stronger in these number of states and okay. just the way it works out is that he just it's easier for him to get to 270 the, the number of votes it is than it is right. for, for okay, Joe I Biden get you. Sorry, yeah. and so you look at the 3 or 4% um, kind of deduction effectively that, that Joe Biden is, is starting with okay. so yeah if we bring it, break it down effectively Hillary Clinton won the popular vote but she lost in a certain number of states Hillary Clinton lost by about 77,000 votes when you look at the size of America, that's a very, very small Maybe. amount of votes when it comes yeah. to it because she lost in states like Michigan and Wisconsin um, by tiny numbers of votes unexpectedly to Donald Trump. But those votes then turn into electoral college votes, which turns into a big difference. OK, so these debates are going to be crucial. Are they or do they really have like do people change their vote based on these debates? Yes and no. One of the things about this election, again, versus the election in 2016, is that more people have already made up their mind, which is natural enough. You see how divided America is. You see the differences between the parties and people have made up their mind. They're either okay with Trump or they're not. So there are fewer undecided voters now than there were at this stage four years ago. There are fewer people looking at Trump and Biden and saying, I'm not sure who is better or who is worse a lot of the time um, than there were last time. But there are a certain number of undecided voters. There are people who might naturally be Republicans who are a little bit wary of of Donald Trump that they don't like his style but they like what he stands for and what his actions are. So there are undecided voters that are there to be reached. There are also people who are undecided not between the candidates but between voting or not voting. So they might say, well, if I'm going to vote, I'm definitely anti-Trump, I'm for Biden but they haven't fully made up if they're going to bother, if they're going to, you know, fill out their postal ballot or if they're going to get up on November 3rd and go to the polling station. So those voters can still be reached in debates as well that give them a reason to vote for the candidate, that they don't like Trump, but maybe they don't love Biden. And can Biden give them a reason to say, you know what, actually, you're worth my time, you're worth my investment. So there's kind of two specific audiences in these debates. There are the people who are undecided between the two candidates, and those people do exist. And there are people who are undecided between voting and not voting. And a lot of this election is going to come down to that. How how many of your people can you get out to vote? And... I heard recently Trump say, someone asked him about something and he keeps talking about the ballots, that these postal votes are going to be a thing. Can you explain that for us? I can. America have a history in, 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 a, in a certain number of states of, of doing postal ballots. So the American election has already started. People, if they want to right now, can vote. Yeah, because I see that on Instagram. Some people that I follow in the states are like, I voted. Yeah, oh. so you can vote. So it's you via the post. 
Okay. You get sent out a ballot, you ask for a ballot, it gets sent out to you, you check your box, you put it back in, you post it back in, and then on the day of the election it gets counted. So it doesn't get counted yet, but you have voted, your job is done. There's a history of doing that in America. Lots of states do it consistently. Donald Trump um, votes via postal ballot and always has in, in Florida. Um, so it, it, it's, it's well known in America. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's getting much more popular. States who have never done it before have decided to do it. And states who have always done it, lots more people are asking for them because they don't want to queue at a post. You know, they don't want to queue, yeah. they don't want to risk it, they're old or whatever it might be. So the amount of postal ballots has increased massively. Donald Trump has decided that this means that there's likely to be a lot of election fraud due to postal ballots. No evidence at all of that, but he keeps saying there's going to be voter fraud because of postal ballots. There's no logic to it, but he keeps saying it. So that matters for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's laying an excuse for himself so that if he loses, he can say, well, actually, I won, but it was just loads of fraud. He even said that in 2016 on his first day as president. He walked in and had a conversation with, with Democrat Nancy Pelosi and said, I actually won the popular vote. There was loads of postal ballot fraud. There wasn't, but he can't even get his head around the fact he didn't win the, 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 the popular, popular vote. vote. So he's decided that there's, that's, there's lots of fraud, even if there isn't. The issue is because there's a lot more postal ballots, they get counted after the in-person ballots. Right. So the people who go to the, the polling booth and they press their button and it's electronic and it gets it's automatically counted, they get counted faster, they get counted first. The voters who are going to be in person are more likely to be Trump voters because Trump is against postal ballots. Right, so okay. Biden voters are more likely to do by post, Trump voters in person. So the initial results are going to favour Trump because his voters are going to be there in person more so than Biden's, which is going to allow him to say, I won, it's over, will you look? They've all voted for me. And then we're going to get loads of postal ballots coming in who are more likely to be for Biden. How long is the gap there between? We don't know is the answer. Um, so for states that are used to it, take Florida, going to be really quick. They do it very quickly. They know what they're at. They quick, know like hours or days? Get. Hours. Right. Okay. I, I, like it would be that, that night, you, you'll have the result. Yeah. Other places might take days. Okay. And then because Trump is going to say one thing, Biden is going to say another thing. Trump is going to say, I won. Will he leave? Will he accept the result? Will he bring it to the Supreme Court? It could get quite messy. So Yeah, explain how the messiness might work because my understanding is that the election happens in November but he's actually definitely president until January. He's president until January which is a weird anomaly in, in their system. So he's president with all the powers that a president has until January. So he can veto things, you know, Senate, the, the, the Senate. Even if he does lose, he has December, November, December and January to make any sort of laws he wants yeah no and look, look to a certain it, degree to a certain degree as much power as the president has has to do things so like any it's a lot of power in fairness fair amount of power i think one of the things the u.s is realizing at the moment is how much power they've given to one individual rather than to a system of lawmakers so you know that that's troubling in and of itself it could get messy as well because americans are used to election night so right. they're used to same as we are here there is an election the votes are counted that night we get the result that night we get the result the president-elect or the, the re-elected president, whichever it might be, walks out and gives his speech, etc. So that's what they're used to. That might not happen now. If it's a tight election, it won't. It might take a week. And, you know, so it's going to be extended and people haven't tuned fully into that yet. And so that's going to be strange. And if you have two people saying, I won, and the other person saying, they won, that gets confusing for people. And Trump is good in confusion. He's good in chaos and, and good in mayhem. So if you're a Democrat, you're hoping that You've won the right states and you've run the popular vote by enough 
that when Trump comes out and says it's I won like, nobody really can stand over it nobody yeah. can really justify it but if it's it. as tight as it is as it was with Hillary it's going to be kind of messy absolutely and this would have happened in America before in 2000 when George Bush was elected first he was running against Al Gore who was Bill Clinton's vice president um, and that election was very very tight George Bush lost a popular vote it all came down to Florida so whatever way Florida decided it went, Florida was incredibly close, you know, point something of a percent between them. Um, and that ended up going to the Supreme Court. Um, so the Supreme Court had to judge on a couple of issues with, you know, some votes were counted, even though they hadn't been punched through fully. Did those count or not? So that was incredibly tight. So it's happened before, but it happened when people were more willing to say, you know what, the Supreme Court are correct or you know what, it's close. But yeah, I lost because American democracy is important. That's not going to happen with Trump. Right. And talk to us then about, so that was Al Gore who was Clinton's vice president. Talk to us about the role of vice presidents because we don't really have them here. Yeah. So the, the vice president kind of in terms of direct power has, has minimal enough power. Is it someone that the president chooses like their pal or is it chosen in a different, more democratic way? The president chooses. Okay. So the the president or the person who's running to be president chooses their running mate. It used to be elected in the same way presidents were, you know, by the primaries and the yeah. delegates. But now it's just the president chooses who it's going to be. So it's it, it kind of constitutionally, there's not a huge amount of power that they have. And traditionally in American politics, the vice president actually isn't trusted that much by the president. They're not necessarily the right hand man. Now... George Bush's vice president was a guy called Dick Cheney. He was very, very powerful. George Bush relied on him a lot. Obama and Biden had a very close relationship. So they were best pals. That was like a bromance, wasn't it? It became one. It became one. So when they were selected initially, no, Obama and Biden wouldn't have been necessarily close. Obama picked Joe Biden because Obama was young and didn't have foreign policy experience. Joe Biden has a lot of foreign policy experience and wasn't young, was very right. experienced, had been around for a while. But they became very, very close um, as they went through. And Joe Biden would have said to Obama when he agreed to be vice president, I'm only going to do this if I'm the last man in the room, which was that when you're making a major decision, it's me and you at the end. All the other vices are gone. I'm the last one in your ear. So they were very close. Yeah. So the, the role of vice president in terms of the election has a minimal enough. We talk about it a lot, but it has a minimal enough impact. People vote for Joe Biden, not Kamala Harris. You know? Yes. But they'll be close. And but the optics, like are, there was a lot of talk around him choosing her mm. because she's a her, because she's a woman of colour, because she has all of the experience that she has. So there is definitely a strategy in the vice president that you choose and how that brings votes to you. There is, there is. And look, again, traditionally, historically, you you would have picked um, votes on whether they could maybe bring their state with them so that if you weren't strong in a certain state, you pick somebody from that state and they carry the state. That The more polarised, so the more divided America gets, the less that stuff can happen. So what the vice presidency pick does is it you don't vote for the vice president. Nobody does all the research, so voters don't make up their mind based on that. But the selection of vice president changes how people perceive the president. Okay. So the fact that Joe Biden picked a woman of colour, picked Kamala Harris, makes people feel better about Joe Biden. Yes. Okay. Because they think you represent my interest. You listen to us. You understand there's a generational divide. You understand that black women are the strongest cohort in the Democratic Party. You understand our issues. And so therefore I know like Joe Biden more because he picked Kamala Harris, not I don't like Joe Biden, but I like Kamala Harris, so I'll vote for Joe Biden. Yes, okay. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah. So and then obviously look, the vice president is the president dies, the vice president becomes president. I mean that's the core role is It's just to replace you if you die. Replace you if you die. There's been a huge huge amount of presidents who are only president because 
I've never really heard such discussions and I've heard them recently. Um, I've been listening to some podcasts about from people who are trying to, who are swing voters, they call them, uh, who haven't really made up their mind yet, could go either way, Republican or Democrat. And the New York Times has been interviewing them about what's going to make them change their mind either way. And some people, like, there's so much discourse around the age of these candidates where people are like, I want to vote for Joe Biden, but he's old. Or Trump is old and therefore he's going to die. That somehow this experience that you talk of Obama choosing Biden for, like this veteranism, you've done it, you know the ropes, therefore you are an elder who is esteemed, is kind of gone. People want something fresh, it seems. Yeah. These swing voters I've listened to anyway. Yeah, no, and, there, and there's, a, there's a lot of truth to that. Look, there's, there's probably two distinctions between it. It's not necessarily just for those kind of voters, let's say the ones who, you know, want to vote for a Democrat but think Joe Biden is, 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 is too old. I think what actually happens in those situations that it's not necessarily he's too old, it's that he is linked very much with the Democratic establishment and has been for 40 years. Okay. So he has been a moderate Democrat because those are the kind of voters who love Bernie Sanders. You know, yes, and yeah, you know, yeah. and there's a lot older. of evidence that, and it's more the ideas. You know, it's what do you believe in? What 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 are you linked with? Are you you know environmental causes? So I think Joe Biden is just very much that sort a of old white man, of old people. white man, moderate. You know, because yes. that is what he is. You know, and he's always been at the center. Um, similarly with Donald Trump. So the age thing. Who's Donald Trump's vice? Is does he? His uh, vice vice president is is Mike Pence. Is, that's currently who it is. But is that going to be the same if he gets yeah, reelected? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're running together. Yeah, so okay. he he hasn't he hasn't got rid of Pence. So P- Pence is, is is still his running mate. But on the age thing, so it obviously the edge takes off because Trump and Biden are both old. You know, yeah. they're they're both whatever over seventy x years old. They would both be the oldest president. You know, yeah. if they if they're elected, so the edge gets taken off it. Donald Trump has been trying with relative success to put questions not over Joe Biden's age, but over his mental acuity. Right. He's okay. saying he slipped. He's saying that he, geez, Joe Biden used to be great, used to be fierce, energetic, but unfortunately now he's old and is slipping mentally. So that's not true. I have seen zero evidence for that. Joe Biden stood up and did a 90 minute town hall, town hall on CNN. Very few of us could do that and he was able to do it very, very well. But Biden, Trump has tried to attach that to him. So that if he does make a mistake, if he does slip up, if he does, you know, seem older at some stage, that people who don't want to vote for Trump might say, but God, is Biden past it? Yeah. He's not. But Trump is clever at perception. Okay. And so the, do we know the topics is these, so these debates where, why are there three of them? Is there different, are they in different locations? Who is the audience of them? The whole states or... Yeah, so it, the, everybody everybody tunes in. So about 80 million people would have watched the first debate between um, Trump and Hillary in 2016, yep. which is, I think, the largest ever I've ever watched um, a, a political debate. So I'd say it'll be similar again for each of the debates this time, between 70 and 80 million people. It's a fair amount of people watching. The The reason there's three is there's something called the Debate Election Commission, which they all the part, the two parties come in and they trash it out and they decide what can we agree on and what they agree on is three presidential debates and one vice presidential debate. It's what it's been for the last number of, of election cycles. The Topics? The topics have been decided and going off memory here for the first one, they do announce the general topics that, that they're going to have. 
I think for the the first one, it's the Supreme Court is being discussed. Um, Biden's record, Trump's record. And then there was controversy because one of the topics is uh, race and political violence in America at the moment. And the idea of putting those two together in one topic is, I think, correctly seen as racist. Yeah. So the idea that, Naming. oh, well, it's either, you know, racial tension or it's political violence. They're totally separate, different issues that should not be discussed. And it shows maybe how that debate's going to go, which is it's not going to be a debate on racial justice. It's going to be a debate on have the protests gone too far. Yeah. And who moderates them? Like, is that a really impartial person or who hosts the debate? Yeah, it, it's broadcasters, but it's broadcasters that are that are agreed um, between the two parties. So it's, it's uh, you know, so I, I'm going to get this wrong, but, you know, let's say Fox have a debate, CNN have a debate, MSNBC have a debate. So TV stations get the debates okay. and then one of their people will moderate it, but both camps have to agree. So the Trump campaign gave a list of moderators they would like and none of those are moderating the debate because they were seen to be too pro-Trump, too, too pro biased. Trump. So they're trying to get independent moderators. But both sides will think the moderator was unfair and their candidate. That's how things go. It's like sports teams. Everybody thinks the ref's harder on their team than the opposition. It's just people watch this from a biased point of view. Okay, and so so that's, so we, what we're looking at now is three debates, then a vice presidential debate. And is that kind of like what kind of a vice president? Why do they bother debating? Pretty good question because it has absolutely no impact um, on on the end result. So it's first debate, then it's vice president presidential debate, then it's two more debates. They debate, I suppose, because they are people who are likely to step in. Do you know, it's it's actually relatively likely historically that the vice president will become president or will, may, might have to step in at some stage. So yes, their debates are both about how good a president their running mate will be, but then also. Are you ready to be president? So there's a very, very famous debate when in when George Bush's father, so the first president Bush was running um, and his running mate was a guy called Dan Quayle. Quayle was young, had made a couple of mistakes very early and people were worried about how serious an individual he was. Is he really ready to, to be president? And he got asked the question three times in a, in, in, in a debate um, and kept trying to answer it and failing. Um, and eventually he said, look, I've as much experience as John F. Kennedy, as, as Jack Kennedy did when he was running um, for, for president. And the running mate um, who was against him, the vice president against him, a guy called um, Betson, um, immediately said, paused and said, look, I knew Jack Kennedy. I worked with Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. So it cut the legs from under him. Massive moment. Huge in debate history in the US. The next day, the polls for George Bush were higher. Vice president debates have no impact at all on the end result, right, but they're okay. great political theatre. Okay, so it's kind of about, it's almost like Trump is in the corner of the ring giving a pep talk to Mike Pence and Biden is giving a pep talk to Kamala Harris being like, look, you have to do well here. Like we just, yeah. you're my cheerleader and you're going out to do your cheer. Absolutely, absolutely. And you want to make no mistakes and, and you, you want to get through it. So so uh, Joe Biden would have been in vice presidential debate in twenty. 12 so when he was Obama when he was yeah. Obama's and they were running again and Obama and it goes look again shows debates Obama's a phenomenal communicator but he was awful in the first debate that year he lost very badly to Romney he was low energy he was really bad and so there was an idea that Biden had to go out there and get momentum back to the campaign yeah. so that's kind of intangible 
but maybe it did make a difference. So some of this stuff is a bit intangible, but Biden went out and gave a brilliant performance. Really, really strong, very kind of dominant and kept interrupting Paul Ryan and things like that. So, you know, some of it's just political junkie theatre. Yeah. But something's intangible sometimes matter. I want to bring your attention to another podcast that I think you should listen to. It's called I Know That Face. You know when you're watching a movie and you see a character actor and you've definitely seen them before, they've played a similar character in another film but you can't quite put your finger on it? Well, that's what this podcast does. It talks about those exact actors whose name you just quite can't think of. Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. These are the things that are coming up before November 3rd. What else do we need to, like, what else do you think that, what are the things that if you are advising Trump or Biden, what steps would you be, like, is there a way for any of them to get enough of a lead now? What opportunities are there between now and then for someone to kind of take a bigger lead? Or are they just going to keep up to the same old tricks that they're at? There's, there's advising and what do I think that they'll do? I, I, I think Donald Trump is unable to change and to change tact. Okay. He thinks he's right all of the time. That's just one of his quirks. He thinks he always has the right answer. And so he keeps trying to do what he did in 2016. As far as I can tell, it's not working right now. So they but it was working up until COVID, wasn't it? Not necessarily. Not okay. necessarily. So, And I think this is going to be something that's really important after the election. As of right now, if the polls are correct, and there's always caveat, they might not be correct, etc. All of the things that has happened with COVID, the pandemic, the protests that have happened at the same time that are totally unlinked, the huge amount of unrest in America, the polls haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Biden was 70%, 7% ahead before all that happened. He's 7% ahead now in the polls. So there, there's there's a very strong argument to be made that this race is the steadiest there has ever been. That Trump cannot get any higher than he has and that Biden is just ahead. That Trump was heading for a loss before all of this. And that all of this has just made it harder for him to do what you said there, to react, to change, to get back up off the floor, okay. to use the boxing analogy. Now, polls could be wrong or it could totally change in a, in a month's time. The polls could be bang on right now. But okay. something could happen in two weeks that changes up the race. What kind of again. things changes? I suppose well, like a vaccine might help. A, a, a vaccine might help. Something negative for Joe Biden might totally slip up in the debate stage. That could make a difference. But we've already had an, an event. Now let's see if it has an, has has an impact. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying, who's a Supreme Court justice. I can explain all that in a second yes. if you'd like. But okay, you know. so I'll just give a brief my understanding of it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a Supreme Court justice. That's a, basically a Supreme Court judge. And there are nine of them. And because there's nine, there's always a sort of a, what's the word, a majority, either Democrat or Republican, because those Supreme Court judges are always elected by presidents. Am I? Yeah. So then she died and she now needs to be replaced so that there's still nine. And Trump, because he's currently the president, wants to replace her with someone who will align with his views his the way he thinks things should be done, which is the opposite of what she stood for. And 
if he does that, then there'll be an even greater majority in there because there currently is a small majority of cons- Republicans in there. Conservatives. Yeah. Conservatives, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's the, the judges are are nominated by presidents and voted for by the Senate. So, like, you know, that the, the legislators actually have to elect them. Yeah. But the president is the one who gets to nominate them. So it, it's it's a separation of powers there. There is, before Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, there was a 5-4 conservative president appointed versus four liberal president appointees. If Trump is able to, and he will be able to appoint a new judge, it will become 6-3. So at the moment, you know, it's still conservative, but there are some more moderate conservatives who look at the law differently. If it goes 6-3, it will be purely conservative. And so that that changes the race a bit because, you know, you're talking about big social issues get decided before the courts in America. And even if the president gets... So if Trump doesn't get re-elected, the judges don't change. No. So it's like he's leaving a kind of a, an impression yeah, and on the country because his his will will be carried on by whoever he chooses. He's leaving a massive impression. So the real legacy that Trump, is, if he loses, will have is he's been, he's appointed a lot of judges. So both at the Supreme Court, but also federal court level, so which, you know, across in states, he's, he's appointed a lot of judges, much more than any other president has. It's because another Republican, Mitch McConnell, who is their leader in, in the Senate, so one of their really, you know, high profile politicians is obsessed with appointing judges because he thinks that's what's important because that's what, that's what is a longer lasting legacy See, it's very hard to change. They can they, they change laws, they veto legislation. So that is one of the legacies Trump, Trump is going to have because Mitch McConnell has been so big on it. But what it does to a campaign on the debate stage is they're now talking about how should the Supreme Court look? What will it do to abortion um, laws in America straight away? What is it going to do to environmental legislation, to healthcare legislation? Why or- are they particularly talking about abortion? Because abortion was legalized in America by a judgment called Roe versus Wade, which was a Supreme Court judgment. So the fact that abortion is legal in America is because of the Supreme Court. Conservatives have been obsessed with getting that overturned since that happened in, I think, the 70s. I could be wrong on my dates, but I think in the 70s. And so if a, a case went before the the new Supreme Court with a 6-3 split, there's a strong possibility that they would overturn that, which would mean it would be up to the states to legislate for abortion, which means that conservative states could outlaw it. Okay. But how would would an abortion case end up before the Supreme Court now? Almost ending an end between the Supreme Court because if if you challenge it and if you have a legal case, so you say it's is it constitutional or unconstitutional to get to have an abortion, not have an abortion, etc. So what happens is interest groups, lobbyist groups find cases, okay, and they then they say let's it. bring this case. This is one we might win. Happens all the time. Happens in Ireland as well. The way we ended up moving towards a referendum on abortion in Ireland was because of Supreme Court cases. All oh, right, okay. So, so that I might change the presidential. Events. events. We'll be discussing different things. But I suppose my point being is that people tend to think, well, the polls said this right now. And therefore, if that's not the case on November 3rd, the polls were wrong. But races change. Campaigns matter, you know. So, I mean, between now where we are at the moment and the race in 2016, there was a massive thing that happened in that the FBI, the head of the FBI came out and said, we're investigating Hillary Clinton's use of her own email account while she was in the State Department. So that was a huge thing in the campaign. It was used as an example of Clinton being dodgy, being evasive, being corrupt, that she used her own email server instead of the encrypted server and then deleted a load of personal emails. You know, as we all have personal emails, deleted them. This became a big thing for Trump and for the Republicans saying, where are the emails? It was an issue all the way through. But- like Trump has had 
so many company or so many like legal people looking into him with Russia with his taxes is he just impervious to to that sort of he criticism is for, he is for his base um and it and it's interesting so he is impervious because people don't judge you based on what they do they judge you on based on how consistent are you to what they think is important about you so that what is your what are you known for what do people expect from you and as long as you're consistent with that they have no issue so Trump has never put himself forward as somebody who obeys the law as somebody who is not corrupt as somebody who is a good family man he's never put himself forward as that okay. he's put himself forward as I get things done I'm a winner I'll help you win as well and so as long as he's consistent with that nobody cares Clinton's voters or potential voters now, some of this is, is just sexism writ large, but for some of the voters, there was a feeling of, well, you should be above reproach. You should be absolutely ethically clean. You should be a leader in that sense. So if and Donald so Trump had deleted his emails, it wouldn't have made a slight bit of difference, but it did matter to Hillary because it, it, her brand was... Yeah. And or be, her voters expected her to be better than The expectation than that. of a democratic president was to, to be better than that. No, it was an issue that was blown out of all proportion, but the perception was there. And there was always a perception with the Clintons because they've consistently been attacked by the right-wing media. A lot of it, and some of it is mistakes that they made, um, both Bill Clinton and then Hillary Clinton, there was always a perception that they were trying to get away from things. They were always being investigated. Okay. So those are the things that might move the polls or go against the polls that say that Trump is currently a little bit behind in the popular vote. Yeah. Well, it, I, things can happen and they, they, but, but all of those issues could, could help Biden, they could help Trump, they could make no difference but, but things can change so we need to look out for, hang on, what might change what is a very stable race and then you need to look at as well that obviously different things candidates say might not work nationally but they might work in one state. So right. you'll find a lot of them zeroing in now on states like Florida because it could go Trump or Biden. States like Georgia, like Wisconsin. There's lots of states that could go either way. And so you're going to see people zeroing in and saying, hang on, there's that small voter demographic in that state. I need them to show up. So Joe Biden, if he wants to flip somewhere, flip means go from Trump to Biden, flip somewhere like Georgia, which would be traditionally Republican. He needs black men to show up and vote in ways they haven't in a long time. Okay. So you're going to find him targeting messages, targeting things at that group. And you might say, geez, why is he saying that? But it's because he needs that group to show up and that will make a massive difference. So while they're on a national or even an international stage, in their mind, their audience is specifically black men in Georgia. And so they're going to be speaking to them. It could be, or it could be older voters in Florida who would traditionally vote Republican, voted Donald Trump last time, but for what whatever reason, and it's hard to tell exactly why, have gone over to Biden. So Biden might be talking to them to say, geez, I need to keep you in my camp. Yeah. So I really need you. So he'll be saying stuff that would enrage the left wing of his party, the liberal, you know, the Bernie yes. Sanders wing will say, why are you saying that, Joe? But it's because he knows that that's going to work with that cohort in Florida and God, he needs Florida. You There's know? an awful lot of stuff for them to be keeping in mind in these debates, isn't it? Like it's not... There's an awful lot of mental gymnastics you have to do to hear a question that's given to you. Very quickly do some sort of arithmetic on like, okay, who is my audience for this answer and what should I say? It seems like Biden has more political experience and debate experience than Trump, who seems to just say the first thing that comes into his head. 
Yeah, so but a couple of things from what you said there, because I think it's a really, really fair point. Being a politician, particularly in America, it, it's really difficult. Being on the debate stage for 90 minutes with with people firing questions at you, worrying about all those things is really, really difficult. So, you know, there's an, an idea in sports called, you know, the, the armchair quarterback, which is, you know, the fan sitting at home, lying on the couch and giving out about the fella who's on the pitch saying, geez, what's he doing there? What an idiot. You know, that we can watch debates and, you know, Biden might say, have a, you know, a mistake or he might trip over his words and people are going to say, geez, yeah, he's passed it. But it's like, He's up there for an hour and a half answering really detailed policy questions, having to keep a coalition of voters who totally disagree with each other together at once, but also win points. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And when you're ahead, it's even more difficult. So, you know, so it's a hard thing to do and you need to watch it with that in mind. On the Trump, you know, says what he thinks, does it make him quite an effective debater in a, in, a, in a televised debate? He's, you know, he has a couple of advantages. He knows he can't mess up to make his position worse. He might not make it better, mm-hmm. but he's not going to make his position worse because he can say whatever he wants and people will justify it for him. Um, and because he reacts, because he, he doesn't, you know, have loads of rehearsed lines, he does, I think, work off the hoof when you watch him. He can be very, very effective. So he was quite effective in 2016. I th- you know, on points, if it was a, you know, university debate, Hillary Clinton won, obviously she won. But on a political debate on television, Trump won those debates. Trump had his moments. Trump undercut her argument. His argument wasn't undercut. And Hillary got her debate strategy totally wrong in 2016. So Trump can be very, very effective. And he can be quite effective against Biden. Biden's strength in debates is he's very good at reacting. Okay. He's very, very good at laughing, at throwing his hands up in the air, kind of a... Can you believe what's Theater going on? Type of yeah, a little bit like that. Um, and that, I think, think will work very well against Trump. Because rather than trying to fight him on his own on level, or rather than trying to, you know, treat him like a normal political opponent, I think Biden's just going to go, all right, Donald, like, we are all sure, right. geez, we all know that's true. It's good kind man. of like what Trump did to Hillary. Remember when he was like floating in the background and like kept standing near her? And I remember I heard a podcast with her once saying where she said she really regrets not turning around to him during that time and saying, stop doing what you're doing. Mm. That like that sort of physical but nonverbal mm. behavior. Yeah, and look, and I think that's an example um, for Hillary of how much harder it can be because, I mean, you know, the perception we thought thing talk we talked about earlier it is harder to be a woman in those situations because it hasn't been done before and I think her calculation in her head at the time and I think she's talked about this was absolutely right of well if she did turn around and say what are you doing get away from me there would have been people who, who would have judged her really harshly for that for saying geez, he, was, he wasn't doing such anything such an aggressive woman you're so aggressive yeah, yeah you know angry so woman there syndrome. is the, the exactly so like it is difficult it, and it was more difficult for Hillary than it would be for Biden I mean there's a reason in some ways why Biden is doing better than Hillary and it's because he's a man you know like there, there's evidence for that um, and it's you know frustrating for yeah, people it's definitely uh, frustrating yeah um, but yeah the, the physicality of it matters but it's because of the impression that you're trying to you're trying to, to portray you know some of these things can, can backfire as well but there was a moment in the debates in 2016 um, where Hillary was given it where it was effectively her debate pitch, which was you can't trust his temperament. So she had a line which was, aren't we just lucky that somebody with the temperament of Donald Trump isn't in charge of the law in America? And within half a second, Trump, I imagine off the cuff, said, yeah, because you'd be in jail. His supporters loved that. All right. But what it did is it undercut her argument of, you know, his temperament is awful, but it reinforced his argument of, 
Clinton is corrupt and I'll fix it. Yes. Now that's not a logical argument, but it's an argument that worked for his voters. So Trump is good at talking to his base and he's good at reacting and he's good at a TV one-liner because that's what his training is in. So it's interesting to watch. Trump's issue is that he can't talk outside of his base. And his base are already there. His base are already with him. So he actually should, should a year ago, have looked at it and said, I'm in an incredibly strong position. My base will go nowhere. They love me. They'll There's go wherever I, can I go. Say. Like. They will go where I direct them. They will turn up and vote. So I don't have to worry about keeping them on site. Yeah. I can go after the 10% of people who probably aren't mad about me, but I can start talking about, I get you the right judges. Jeez, I delivered you a tax cut. You know, come with me. And he could have modulated it, but he doesn't have that in him. He can't change. He's a reactive politician. So I think his base is probably too shallow um, to win unless Biden makes a mistake. And what, and just we're going to get into the prediction part of it now to finish up. What do you think, first of all, what do you predict will happen if Trump doesn't get re-elected? What are the sort of things that you think he might do between November and January? Do you, first of all, do you think he'll step down as he should? Yeah, so we have to concede is what it'd be. We're saying, look, I, I acknowledge I lost. At the moment, it's getting put to him as a question. He's saying, look, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what the situation is. I think, and this is why I think... Should people be asking that? I feel like they're putting the idea in his head that he doesn't have to concede. Yeah, I suppose because he's alluded to it. But yeah, maybe there is an argument that it should just be assumed that he will and, and, and move on because it does... You know, he's very good at creating news cycles and dominating news cycles. And now there's an argument and this shouldn't be an argument. I mean, if you lose, you lose. Um, but if he loses by a big margin, so I think it comes out. Florida is going to announce early. Florida is one of those swing states that matters. They are used to postal ballots. So they're going to announce early. If Trump doesn't win Florida, he can't win effectively. Okay. Because of the way it is, if he doesn't win Florida, Biden can win without Florida, Trump can't. He needs to have those votes. It's too big for him to lose. He's not strong enough in other big states. If he loses Florida, most Republicans are going to say, right, Trump is done. Yeah. And so they won't entertain his... I'm going to stick around because there's nothing in it for them to do it electorally because they'll say, geez, Trumpism has been burst. Right. So I think we look at Florida. Florida goes for Biden. Go to bed. You can relax. We'll have a safe election. If it's very tight, if we have to wait for weeks, I think what will happen is Trump will for a while say, no, I'm not conceding. No, there was fraud, etc. And eventually he'll go off in a huff and say, I won really, but they were just so unfair and mean to me. So actually, I should be the two-term president. So I won really. So my ego is fine. Yeah. And then he can go and he can go back and play golf and go back to the hotels and go on media. So I think that will happen. But I think you'll have a pretty uh, sketchy three or four weeks. And I think the itch issue with that is that his supporters will also believe that he won. The 30 or 40% who support him. And America will just get more and more divided and polarized and exhaustingly angry. So I think that's a big issue. Because Biden won't be able to pull that back together. He won't. And like... Trump, angry Trump voters are the type of people who go out in the streets like. Yeah, absolutely. They go out and protest and they will go out and protest and they'll, you know, there was a, you know, the caravan of Trump supporters in the pickup trucks driving through oh, cities. Yeah. I mean, that's not going anywhere, you know, but it does go somewhere if he loses badly. If you humiliate the man, if you hammer him in the, in the, in the election. Then you also hammer his supporters and they can't fight back in the well, same and way. Look, and 
supporters changed their minds about what they thought they thought very very quickly there's a an interesting polling on uh, John F. Kennedy that you know he won the vote by about 4% of the popular vote he won the election but within about 9 months 60% of the people said they voted for John Kennedy after he after he died after he was shot 72% of the American public oh, said yes. they voted for John Kennedy and I'd say a lot of those people believed it yeah. so if, if if you beat Trump if you knock him down to 30 you know to, to approval ratings of 30% instead of 40 something percent Within a couple of years, people will forget about him. Okay. I think. If it's close, they won't. Okay. And you'll get his son next time. Oh, God. Jared, what's his name? Donald uh, Jr. Donald Jr., not... I, I always think of Jared Kushner as his son. Okay, can you give us a prediction on what you think is going to happen? Just to finish up. No, I can't. Based on what I can see at the moment, right? based on yeah. the polling you have, and if the state polling is good, you know, it's it's looking good for Biden. He's competitive in states that you wouldn't have been competitive last time. He's holding Hillary's vote. It's looking good for Joe Biden. The issue is we don't really know what's going on in the states in America. So my prediction is, look at turnout. If you look at the turnout in this election, how many people come out and vote, if the Democratic turnout hits the same levels that Obama got in 2008 and 2012, I think Joe Biden has this one. If his turnout falls and Trump's increases, I think it's very, very close. So I've, about 18 months out, I've been talking about, I think it's all about turnout. Not convincing that many Trump voters to come over, although you'll get some, but it's about turnout. And I think if Biden can keep people motivated against Trump to come out and vote, I think he'll win. If the polls are telling us the truth, Biden has a 90% chance of winning this election. Um, So look at turnout. That's what I'll tell you. Okay, we'll have you back on to process it once it all happens do you think there's much of an impact in, on our for Ireland or is it more like just watching sport happen some of it's watching sport happen and I think a little bit as somebody who writes about it and loves talking about it and loves following it I think we all need to get over a little bit of obsession with America I mean it's a very different country um, and there's lots of other world powers now as well you know so it, but it does matter of course it matters there's still there's a lot of spectacle around it as well yeah and they're still the richest country they're still the most powerful country and I think look you saw or people might not have seen you know Joe Biden tweeted recently about Brexit saying if you put the Good Friday Agreement in jeopardy there will not be a UK-US trade deal and Nancy Pelosi who was the lead Democrat in Congress said the same thing once they say that we're fine yeah. you know so like there's still a strong Irish-American Make voice sure. in, in, in America on both sides now we like to highlight the Democratic side there's been a long history of Irish American and Republican parties as well and yeah. there is right now under Donald Trump so it's not all rosy in that sense either Irish America is very split on this too and has been historically split even though we like to talk about John F. Kennedy we don't talk about McCarthy as much and if people want to Google you know McCarthy and McCarthyism he was Irish American as well We also have Doonbeg Trump's little hotel there in County Clare yeah. Anyway Lorcan thank you so much for joining us Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Basically. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you would rate it and review it wherever you get your podcasts or share it on Twitter or your Instagram stories and tag me in it at Stephanie Preisner on Instagram and at Steph Preisner, that's Steph with an F, on Twitter. We are produced by the Headstuff Podcast Networks. We record at the podcast studios and our imagery is by... Ologara and our music is by Only Rune. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.